And now, it's time for the biggest bonanza on Blaze Radio. Live from the Bill Austin Radio Studio, this is the College Basketball Bonanza. Alright everyone, welcome into the College Basketball Bonanza, some more Megasec issues. You'll get the intro and post, I'm sure, on the you know, preferred podcast platform. My name is Nicholas Hodel, Nick Keneally is alongside me. We have a very busy show. It's a jam-packed time of year, and we're finally back in the same studio again, which we've had a few weeks of absolute chaos between the Super Bowl, work, sickness. We've, we've had pretty much everything, but we're both back in the same studio, and what a time to be back in the studio because this is our final show before we have some kind of brackets in our hand, and that makes me happy. Right, end of the season starting to ramp up. Uh, perfect timing, all of us, you know, back up in here, and it, it feels great, ready to ready to get on a roll. Yeah, and it's been it's been a chaotic few weeks, as I've said, and of course, this will be a show where we, uh, I do have some bracket talk as the selection committee took out their top sixteen on Saturday, right as the slate of games was beginning. And those one seeds, Alabama, Houston, Kansas, Purdue, I don't think too many people would argue over that whatsoever. Texas, UCLA, Baylor, Arizona took two seats. Tennessee, Virginia, Iowa State, and Kansas State are at the three line. And Indiana, Marquette, Gonzaga, and Xavier were at the four line. Going into Saturday's slate, UConn, Miami, St. Mary's, and Creighton barely missed the cut for the top 16. And... I know you said you hadn't necessarily watched that bracket preview as it was happening, Nick. Uh, but really, just taking out Saturday's games, uh, what did you think of how those 16 teams were unveiled? I mean, it, there was a couple of matchups between those teams in there, actually. Um, and I, I'm pretty sure that they got it pretty much spot on. I mean, there was a couple issues um, that I did see within it. Um, but I, I think that they did a pretty good job at nailing these top 16 teams here. Um, I think that they made the the correct choice with um, Alabama perhaps being the most the most number one in my opinion. Um, a lot of other people can will try to argue that, but uh, Alabama being part of the number one group that is something that uh, I can really stand by. Yeah, and Alabama was the overall number one mm-hmm. uh, according to the committee, and that was the decision I really liked mm-hmm. uh, with their with the number of, of quality SEC wins they picked up, the non-conference wins. Remember the game against Houston way back in the non-conference games? Those games matter, folks. They matter before everyone else starts bandwagoning onto the sport. They matter. That's exactly why right there. Guarantee the result was flipped, you'd be having a different overall number one seed. So that's how big those games mean. No issue with me on, on the one seats at all. Not an issue with me on the two line either. I think Tennessee kind of took themselves out of it, particularly with the result on Saturday. I'll talk more about that in just a few minutes. Iowa State and Kansas State being on the three line was an interesting one to me. Indiana on the four line was also intriguing to me, especially where they were. Possessively, but given the loss in Northwestern that they ended up taking... Uh, on the road, but it seemed like that didn't necessarily matter a ton when it came to this particular reveal. I would have liked to have seen St. Mary's gotten in the 16, particularly with the head-to-head win they got over Gonzaga. Didn't seem to matter all that much. UConn's metrics didn't seem to matter a ton as well um, within this particular thing. So a lot of interesting stuff to take away from this. Uh, But particularly with the top two seed lines, I think they got those eight teams in the right spots. I have no arguments uh, with the eight teams whatsoever. Maybe the order of it could have been a bit differently. 
But regardless, I think the committee sort of did their job putting the teams into the correct seed lines. Now for a couple of those notable games featuring the top six team. Uh, Kansas, big win over Baylor, big win. And it didn't seem likely at the start, that 87-71 win. And this is a game where Kansas won the second half by 29 points. Kansas beat Baylor in the second half by 29 points at Allen Fieldhouse. Rarely do we say that in a game amongst top 10 ranked teams, but that's exactly what happened. And that first half performance, I mean, that was kind of reminiscent of the TCU game to me. But the way they battled back was just unbelievable uh, for Kansas. And, and it took everybody. I mean, yes, Jalen Wilson had his double double, but Juwan Harris with 14 points, 9 assists. A fantastic distributor uh, for the Jayhawks. Grady Dick had 16 points. KJ Adams had 17 points. Everything they needed to do was a fantastic team performance in a game in which Kansas got their first double-digit win in a game that trailed by double digits since December of 2015. And just to speak to Kansas first real quickly, what kind of potential do you think they showed within that performance on Saturday? I mean, I, I think it really showed how much the sky really is the limit for this Kansas team, uh, especially looking at um, how they really bounced back in that second half. They went into halftime, of course, down 13 to the Baylor Bears, and they, they really rejuvenated, um, as you mentioned before. Uh, this is really a team that they were able to really rally behind Jalen Wilson. Um, they were getting to the line a lot as a team, and that's something that you see is very important in March, is getting to the line. Um, and they did pretty well at the line shot, 85% on 27 attempts. Um, they're showing all the fundamental reasons why this team has the potential and the opportunity to be a Final Four team at the bare minimum. I mean, this is a really, really strong Jayhawks team. Um, and they did this against a really strong Baylor Bears team. I mean, this isn't just against any other Big 12 team, which, of course, this is the Big 12 team. Big 12 that we're talking about, a bunch of great teams, but this is Baylor, one of the top programs right now in the country, and they were able to have that sort of performance. It really was kind of a preview um, of the sort of games that you might see in, in the NCAA tournament for them. I think that that was a, a really good window into what they can do. That second half Kansas team is a team that can defend a national championship, mm -hmm. if I'm being completely honest with you. Yes, Jalen Wilson did his thing, but you get Harris going, you get Dick and Adams both going, and McCuller did his role from the free throw line as well, as well as rebounding. That's the kind of team effort that can win a national championship in Houston. That, that was what that looked like to me. In a sport where I have really no idea who would win a national title right now, that's the kind of performance that can tell me if they can do that consistently, they're the ones. Mm -hmm. They're and they, the ones. They also ran sort of a kind of rotation that you might honestly see um, come March. Obviously, teams really shorten the ro their rotations to seven, eight players that they really think are going to step up and, and when it matters. Um, and with the exception of six-man Bobby Pettiford in this game, they had two other bench players that, that had seven and five minutes. This was really a game that all relied on the starters, so I really think that they're starting to try to kick it into that tournament gear. Yeah, absolutely. And a big game of the Big 12 title race, too, with Kansas going to 10-4, and four, tied with Texas. And guess who has that head-to-head -head advantage? The good old Kansas Jayhawks. They're rounded in the four and right at the right time. Meanwhile, real quickly, the Tennessee-Kentucky performance from the Volunteers, that was ugly, to say the least. Uh, Kentucky winning by 12, and it was a lot worse than that. 
in the first half. Kentucky was firing on all cylinders uh, with Kaysen Wallace and Chris Livingston both having fantastic performances combined with an Oscar Sheeble masterclass uh, from him as well. Not nearly as many rebounds, but getting to the line, being a presence down low. Really incredible performance from him. We'll talk a lot more about Kentucky at a Bonanza after party on Wednesday morning on your, on your preferred podcast platforms. As for Tennessee... I think the defense is starting to crack a little bit here. Uh, they've allowed 44% or better effective fugal percentage in four straight in six of the last seven, 35% plus from three in five of the last six, and then 45% or better from two in each of the last four losses in six of the last nine games. This is still the Kempo number one defense by quite a bit in the adjusted defensive efficiency. Uh, but with that being said, this was an ugly offensive performance. I mean, say what you want about the defense, they're still elite nationally. This was a woeful performance offensively. Is that offense really dragging that defense down in your mind? Absolutely. I mean, they looked completely lost in this game. Just a bunch of bad shooting, um, from whether it's inside the arc or around the rim. It was just not good offense. They seemed like they really didn't know what to, what to do with that Kentucky defense. I mean, you look at the bench unit. They went 1 for 11 as a whole. Um, and your your starters really didn't give you what you're looking for. Santiago Vescovi, who you know they go to um, a lot, who led the the team in points, was seven for thirteen. But once you look past that, it's a bunch of inefficiencies here, and that's not something that you can have coming down the stretch. That's it's it's looking very very bad for their offense, and you know their defense is regarded very very strongly, but when if you give yourself those opportunities on the offensive side of the ball and you can't capitalize on that, then what's it all for? Yeah, and, and also shout-out to Jemai Mashak for his 16-point performance of a really solid, efficient game uh, from inside the arc along with eight rebounds. That's a really solid performance from him. Everyone else, particularly the starters, woeful. I mean, Shakai Silver only had eight, was two of nine uh, from three. Uh, Jonas Adu had four. Uh, all of their Nakamoma had six. And only three points in the bench. I mean, that's just a woeful performance there. Do you think they can still get it together on offense to peak at the right time before the NCAA tournament? I, I think that they can sort of get some mo more momentum on offense. What, are they going to build a, a possible national championship level offense? No, 100% not. This has always been a team that's relied on their defense this year. Um, are they going to maybe... Get some get something working in the right direction so that they can kind of support their their play style. Sure, but I think they're the ceiling for their offense. Still, wouldn't place them in the final four, maybe even the elite eight. I think when it comes time for when the true offenses and defenses really shine in March Madness, yeah, their defense is going to do great. But these issues that we've mentioned before, that's just going to overpower it. Yeah, and quickly, that battle of three seeds in the preview, Kansas State-Iowa State, it was a really solid home win for Kansas State. That was a big one for the Wildcats. It really proved themselves they've deserved that number three seed. Let's move on over to the Big Ten and the Northwestern Wildcats. This has been quite a story uh, for the Northwestern Wildcats and what they've been able to manage over the course of this season. The one and home against Indiana really put that on a pedestal for Northwestern. Their second straight huge home win that they've had really with through this entire year. And, and that was a game in which Indiana had a call back to get back in that game. And that was a game in which 
Northwestern really boat raced the Hoosiers in that first half. And clearly a, a place where excitement is starting to really come into its full slate. And I think a lot of that equation has to do with a play like Boo Booey being exceptional for the Wildcats. A hundred percent. I mean, uh, as of about maybe an hour or so ago, they just picked up their fifth win in a row um, coming, coming over Iowa. I haven't, didn't really have enough time to kind of put those statistics in my notes. But what I will tell you from their last four wins against Wisconsin, Ohio State, Purdue, and Indiana it's really been three keys that I've seen here. Um, in the first one, which you mentioned a little bit of, is put the ball in Boo Booey's hands. Um, in each of those last four wins, he has either led the Wildcats in field goal attempts or assists, right? And he's currently second in the Big Ten uh, guards for usage rate at 28.5%, uh, only trailing uh, Maryland's Jameer Young. Um, and six overall in usage rate for the entirety of the Big Ten. I mean, when you put the ball in his hands, which... Northwestern does very, very often. Um, good thing has happened. And, you know, he's fifth in the, in the conference for points produced. I think that really is a testament to his abilities. Um, in the Northwestern Wildcats, they also have really solid team defense, 19th in the nation for points allowed per game. Um, and the other team's leading scorers, they usually reach their average. Like Zach Eady had a good game. Trace, Trace Jackson Davis had a good game. Um, but the rest of their team, the supporting cast, um, the Wildcats really do a good job at locking them down. Um, and that, that just shows why they're ranked 28th in Kempom for adjusted defensive efficiency. I mean, this is a really, really strong defensive unit as a whole. And most importantly, maybe they win on the road. They're 6-2 and two on the road in the Big Ten, which leads the conference. They lost to Mich Michigan and Iowa. Um, but I mean, that's still a, a conference-leading mark in a very, very strong conference. I mean, this Northwestern team has a lot of solid, solid keys. Um, that can prove why they're a really good team down the stretch and why they're currently number two in the Big Ten. Yeah, to touch on that Northwestern Iowa game, a 20-point home run for the Wildcats. Really impressive performance. Boo Booey with 23 points, eight assists. Uh, now of 20-plus in six of the last eight games uh, for Northwestern. He is taking on a whole nother role for this Wildcat team and really just improving his play into another stratosphere with yet another minutes increase. You want to talk about a player that over four years at the same school has progressed into being the star player. We don't see that a ton anymore with the transfer portal being as strong as it's been in the last few years. Boo Boo is an incredible example of what happens when you stay out of place, grow into the system, grow into a school, and, I mean, the result is clear. I mean, it's been absolutely tremendous for the Northwestern Wildcats. Uh, he had 21-6-4 in that game against Indiana. Meanwhile, Chase Audi has also been very good, had 14 points. Against IU, 4 of 10 from 3 in that game. He did break a streak of 10 plus points that had gone up to 9, excuse me, to 9 games with only 7 points against Iowa. But the other second main man in this particular game was Ty Berry, the junior, had 16 points, was 3 of 6 from 3, had 3 boards and 3 assists. Just the kind of team that, yes, you have a main player. And yes, you have a really solid second option, but when you have other players being really good, and that's not to mention Brooks Barheiser had 12 off the bench. Talk about a really impressive performance off the, from the sophomore off the bench, and he has had flashes of that throughout the season where he's been very, very efficient. Uh, and that really includes, go back to February 9th, a 19-point performance against Ohio State. In Columbus, had a couple of off games while really managing the two big wins. And then against Iowa, showed up a really good performance. And so you really have the situation now for, for him. 
You get him going off the bench. Titus Furrow in at eight off the bench. You get those guys going. You get that second, maybe third reliable option in the starting rotation. It's a team where I don't know if I feel comfortable taking them to the second weekend. They might be able to win a game. It's a really strong side. And this really goes to Chris Collins. This is where a lot of this credit goes. And really also to the Northwestern program. It's not a historic basketball program. So they can give a guy like Chris Collins time to get the program in the right direction. He gave them an NCAA tournament appearance. I mean, in a place like Northwestern, that is rare. He gave them a tournament win. I mean, that never happens in a place like Northwestern. It's an academic school, you know? It's a journalism school, for crying out loud, like we are here at Arizona State. So it's so much credit to him working through time, especially a player like Boo Booey. I know a lot of people are going to say that Matt Pater deserves Big Ten Coach of the Year for what he's done with Purdue to take them from a team that wasn't quite expected to be at the top of the Big Ten, but they knew they had potential to be one of the best teams in the country. But Chris Collins certainly deserves a shout in my mind for what he has done with this Northwestern team. Already plus five in the wins column from last year. 100%. Just completely rejuvenated the program. Um, major props, and, you know, it's looking really good for them. They, you know, they have four more games um, for the rest of their season. That's Illinois and Maryland, Penn State, and Rutgers, and if I'm not mistaken, I think these are teams that, you know, for the most part, they've beaten so far. I mean, they, they dropped one to Rutgers. Um, but these are all other teams that they've won against, you know? Like, this, it's, it's looking really exciting for this Northwestern program. Yeah, and to bounce off that real quick, I mean, this Big Ten conference has been absolute chaos uh, with just teams losing to each other left and right, just absolute carnage uh, really beyond Purdue. By the way, has four conference losses. Who would have seen that coming? Uh, with, 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 with teams like Maryland have done really to them. Uh, over the course of the last week, and also Northwestern last Sunday uh, at, at Northwestern's home forum, and Maryland really getting them with a huge second-half run this past Thursday. But when you look at the Big Ten, all the carnage that's happened, do you think that's allowed a team like Northwestern to really surprise, get on a roll, and find rhythm when other teams are sort of falling to each other? Oh, completely. I mean, uh, when some of these teams like Purdue, Indiana— um, teams that are more you expect to win because you know they have those great bigs they have the Zach Edes, they have the Trace Jackson Davis is when they start beating each other up a team like Northwestern one that's specifically led by a guard that that might open up more of a an easier play style for them um and besides just you know their their advantage at the guard position just the wear and tear that the big 10 has been giving itself throughout this whole season i mean there was times where iowa looked like the best team uh, or second best team you know purdue's been number one this whole season but there's been times where iowa looks like has looked like the number two or maryland's looked like the number two even at the beginning of the season michigan looked pretty strong for a couple games until they lost one to asu i mean <laughs> this is a really really up and down conference and it, you know it makes sense how northwestern has been able to kind of take advantage of this late into the season with how up and down everyone else has been. I mean, Iowa State is 3-13 and within the conference. They were ranked at some point this season for a good amount of time. Yeah, This is just a really up and down conference. Yeah, and, and the weird thing is that it's been, Minnesota's been really bad. Ohio State has just lost a lot of single-digit games that hasn't gotten them anywhere. And then you have chaos. You have, I was in Northwestern 11 and 5, IU at 10 and 6. You have four teams at 9 and 7 
That's your battle for the Big Ten double bye. Two more teams a half game behind. It's carnage right now. Just between, really, those six teams. Northwestern separated themselves. Who would have thought that for a double bye? And it's, and it's been like that for a lot of conferences, particularly the ACC. It's been really fun to watch, and Northwestern has been a big beneficiary of it in the Big Ten. We move on now, and like we said, this will be the final show in which we do not have brackets in our hands. I promise you they will be printed in here. I will find another room. It's 320. I've got to pay for it now, and I'm not doing that. And the biggest game, I think, of the entire slate of this coming Saturday with the most on the line, St. Mary's at Gonzaga. This is a huge game. Both teams have to survive certain home games. On Thursday, St. Mary's against Pacific, Gonzaga against San Diego. And then if they win both those games, it will come down to St. Mary's against Gonzaga. The previous beating, that St. Mary's went at home in overtime against Gonzaga. It was a phenomenal game between both of these teams. And Gonzaga, if they win, this will make the race for the one seed in the West Coast Conference tournament go down to a tiebreaker. And I was figuring out the head-to-head records as they go down the standings. This will be a very deep tiebreaking process. As it's chaos right now with between those two teams. And before we touch on some of the mid-major conference races, because it's a lot of chaos down there too in the mid-major sector of this sport. I'll ask you this on St. Mary's and Gonzaga. Between a matchup with as good an offense as Gonzaga has, now number one in adjusted offensive efficiency, and as good as St. Mary's is defensively, number seven adjusted offensive efficiency. St. Mary's a bit more of an advantage analytically on the other side of the ball. Who do you think has the edge between those two teams right now? I think St. Mary's has the edge there, and I think that you know that really goes down to the the matchup that they've already won so far this season on February fourth. I think St. Mary's has this advantage. You know, you mentioned how great their defense is uh, with their adjusted defensive efficiency, and defense really wins championships. And I, I think that's why St. Mary's is such a strong team. I mean, you saw earlier on the season when they had a great, great head-to-head battle against Houston. I mean, this is a team that, uh, for being in the West Coast Conference, has had some great tests this season, um, and I, I think they've really shown uh, what who they are as a program. And I, I think that. If they go up against Gonzaga again, which they will with their their season closer, I think they're winning this game. Again, I think they're taking that 2-0 win in the season series. I think they're taking home the regular season championship title name for the West Coast Conference. It's it's St. Mary's all the way. Yeah, this will be an incredible battle inside. Gonzaga offensively has been shooting over 58% from inside the arc. St. Mary's is only allowed just over 44%. Respectively, those are both top 10 marks nationally. That's going to be an elite battle down low uh, between those two teams. I really think that home court advantage for Gonzaga is going to have so much to do with this. Just with being in the kennel. I think if St. Mary is able to pull this off and win it outright, this will be the most impressive St. Mary's win in recent memory for the Gales. In recent memory. Forget NCAA tournament wins. In recent memory, period. To go into the kennel and grab an outright West Coast Conference regular season championship, something that no one other day in Zyga has done for a long time, to me, that would mark a sign of, wow, clearly St. Mary's was ready to play. That's, I, I, I know St. Mary's will give this a great effort. To me, I think we're going to see the home court advantage play so much a part of this. 
like it has in particularly the Big 12 and all of those fantastic games, like it has in so many other places across the country, I really do believe in the magic of the home court. It helped out St. Mary's in the previous meeting in overtime. I think it's going to help Gonzaga out, and then we'll be going to tiebreaker formulas, all kinds of madness, because uh, I really don't know where else they would go. I looked at it earlier, not 100% sure on the top of my head, but it will go down to a very deep process uh, should that be a Gonzaga win. Elsewhere across the country in mid-major land, uh, we start out with the Northeast Conference. Who would have thought going into the year that Northeast would be the 32nd ranked conference in the Kempom ranks? Uh, but that has been the case of all sub-300 teams in Kempom. Who would also would have thought that two transitional teams would be battling for the regular season championship and what is essentially their championship. They can't go to the tournament yet. Merrimack's got one more year of this pain before they are finally eligible for their four-year process. Stonehill, this is their very first. And Merrimack get it in their very first year, winning the regular season championship. Merrimack is a half game ahead of Stonehill. They have two games to play. Stonehill just has a road game at Wagner coming up on Thursday. Merrimack, meanwhile, their two games coming up are a home against Central Connecticut and at LIU. Mary Mack been doing it through defense. I mean, their offensive numbers are awful. Defense, meanwhile, 108 and adjusted offensive efficiency. And if you would believe it, they are number one nationally on defense in both turnover percentage and steal percentage. How about that? For a team like Mary Mack to be number one in both of those marks, that's super, super impressive. And again, Joe Gala, what he's been able to do, obviously a weaker team analytically now than he had before. Uh, but what a way this would, what a win this would be if Mary is able to get their second Northeast Conference regular season championship in four years. I mean, I mean that's something for a transitional program to do to me is unbelievable uh, for, for someone like Mary Mack to do. If you could comment a little bit on that for a few minutes, I or mean, a minute or so. <laughs> I mean, it's looking pretty likely as, you know, their last game of the season against Long Island University, that's a team that's 1-14 in the Northeast Conference. I mean, just terrible, terrible numbers out of them. Um, and then the game before that against Central Connecticut, it's a, it's a decent team. They've, they're 500 in the conference. So it's looking pretty pretty much like it's going to come down to Mary Mack. I mean, they do have that season series over Stonehill. Um, beat them 59 to 47 and 56 to 43 respectively. So you know, pretty consistent games there. But this is this looks like a team that has a solid, um, firm grasp over the rest of the conference. Obviously, only a, a half a game ahead of Stonehill, but you you account for the next two games plus you account for um, how they battled out before. This is their conference. Yeah, and, and the defensive numbers are so much better than everyone else in that conference uh, in the NEC. And again, for Mary Mack, I mean, it's been such, I mean, I don't know if it's ever happened for a transitional team to win two conference regular season championships within their transition period. I don't know if that's ever happened, uh, but what a sign of program marks it would be for Mary Mack. And then watch out because they're eligible for everything. Uh, after this year, the four-year transition being up. So what a way it would be for Mary Mack. Uh, just a true sign of a program who has made the best of what they can in the transitional period. Out in the Colonial Athletic Association, who would have thought when we went into conference play with Charleston being as good as they were with the way they dealt through their home MT in the Charleston Classic, that it would be Hasfra, a half game ahead on Charleston, and with the head-to-head -head edge which is huge. Hosford just has a home game against Northeastern left on Saturday. 
Doesn't matter if Charleston does. Hoffman wins that game. They got the one seed on lock. And with that comes our beautiful regular season championship graphic on our Twitter at College Bonanza uh, for you to enjoy. Charleston, meanwhile, has two home games left against Towson and Stony Brook. Towson and Lincoln, by the way, that will be a game to watch there as Charleston went to overtime on the road against Towson way back close to the start of this season in the conference race. But what a way it's been. Both these teams are in the top 100 camp pump wise, so this conference, as far as representation, can't go wrong, in my opinion, of any one of these teams. They have a very balanced analytical profile, and I would have to go back and watch some film on Haas because as much as we talked about Charleston on this show, Hosford would certainly have to have a shout, and if you're Charleston, you win those two games, get a 28-3, you go to CAA Finals, that gets you, a, I'm pretty sure, about that 30-win plateau. Who knows what can happen if you're 30-4 and four and lose to Hosford in the CAA Finals? I don't think it'd be enough, uh, and it'd be really painful to see a 30-4 and four team not make the tournament, but there's a lot of what-ifs as far as that concerned, and legitimate what-ifs with how the Colonial has been. Out in the horizon, it has been pure chaos, but it seems like we finally have a clear answer thanks to Youngstown State. This team at 14-4 and in Horizon League play has won seven of their last eight games, has two road games against Robert Morris and the infamously hard-blown game against IUPUI. We love the Jaguars. Uh, next Saturday, and again, if they win those two, that's it, it's done. They will be the Horizon League regular season champions. Cleveland State a game behind. Rogues against another really infamous team, Green Bay, and Milwaukee. So if Youngstown State slips up on the road, Cleveland State can kind of grab in at least a share of that particular regular season championship, and it goes to head-to-head, that'd be a split. So we go down to further tiebreakers, uh, and every conference does that a little bit differently, but they also have some form of going down the list of standings and making going through the head-to-heads there. I don't know about the top of my head, but that would be uh, quite the sign there. And for Youngstown State in particular, I'll have you comment on this a little bit. The job that Coach Jared Calhoun has done there has been tremendous from 9-11 in Horizon League play two years ago, now 14-4, two solid road games away from clinching the Horizon League regular season championship all by themselves. A really good transformation for him now in his sixth year at Youngstown State, finally reaping the rewards of his hard work for the Penguins. I mean, yeah, you look at any, any program that can really bounce back um, within a two-year stretch. I mean, this, this Youngstown State team... They've made quite the jump here. I mean, just really impressive uh, performances from them um, throughout the season. They're a great, great scoring team. I mean, you look at some t- some of the numbers that this team can put up on the board. I mean, 117 earlier, uh, or 115 earlier this season, 17 actually, earlier this season, 105 earlier this season. Yeah, it's against teams like the infam- infamous IUPUI. But those are buckets are buckets. You know, the three-point range doesn't change uh, depending on the team you're playing against. The way that this offense has kind of been able to get kindled th- under his program, extremely impressive. Yeah, and the Southern Conference is a three-horse race between Sanford, Furman, and UNC. Greensboro, UNCG. Sanford has the one-game advantage, but guess what's coming up? A battle with Furman at home on Saturday. It's going to be one of the mid-major games of the year. 
as Sanford and Furman perhaps face off for a, at least a share of the SoCon regular season championship. Meanwhile, UNC Greensboro has a home game of Western Carolina and a road game against East Tennessee State coming up this particular week. They lost to Sanford both times, so Sanford has the head-to-head -head advantage there, but they get a split against Furman. So that'll be a case where if it is a Furman-UNCG tie, you can really see that transform. But Sanford-Furman, what a game that's going to be in the SoCon. That might be appointment television at the mid-major level. The ASUN Conference, I'm going to go through some of these really quickly here. Liberty and Kennesaw State are all squared up. But Kennesaw State pick up a huge win against Liberty to pick up the head-to-head -head edge in what is their only battle this season and an 88-81 home win on Thursday. But Kennesaw State followed it up with a loss against Queens on Saturday. So we get to the point where once again it is all knotted up. And Liberty will have two games against Queens. A Wednesday-Friday doubleheader against Queens. That in a non-COVID situation is absolutely unprecedented. Uh, that is coming up for Liberty. Meanwhile, Kennesaw State at North Alabama Wednesday at Central Arkansas Friday. And yes, I said Wednesday-Friday. The ASUN Conference, you will have the honor of the first bracket to come out in bracket season. We love you for it. Thank you very much. We absolutely appreciate you. Keep on doing your thing. We love you. And by we, I mean I absolutely love you. I know Nick definitely loves you on that particular sort. And then the Sunbelt Conference will go there uh, to wrap uh, to second to the last. Southern Miss, a game edge on Marshall with road games against Old Dominion and Texas State left. Marshall, meanwhile, has real games against James Madison and Oak Dominion. Marshall won the only head-to-head -head game back on January the 12th. And Southern Miss, they had good control, but they weakened their position after a blowout loss to South Alabama on Thursday. That made things a whole lot more interesting. And then out in the Missouri Valley Conference, kind of weaker analytically than others, it is a three-horse race. Drake, Bradley, and Indiana State. Drake and Bradley all knotted up at 14-4. and four. And guess what's coming up on Sunday? Drake at Bradley. That is another appointment television game. And that could be for all the marbles in the Missouri Valley Conference. So definitely make plans to tune in to that. Let's move on a little bit here. We're going to quickly go through some of our weekly awards. It's kind of an incomplete list for me as I kind of bail on the individual award this week. So I'll let you start off with that. Yeah, so my player of the week this week is going to be Trace Jackson Davis of Indiana. He had two games this week, one against Illinois, where he had 26 points, 12 rebounds, five blocks, three steals. I mean, just a great performance on both ends of the ball. Um, they were able to pick up the win against Illinois. Um, and you look at, at a double-double like that, that's just another great performance from Trace Jackson Davis that you've been seeing this whole season. What really stu stood out to me about this particular performance is the five blocks, three steals. Um, and he followed it up against Northwestern in a, a loss, 64-62 loss, great game. Um, but Jackson Davis was able to rack up 23 points, 10 rebounds, that's another double-double for you, eight assists, and two blocks. I mean, just showing even more versatility um, this has been something that you've been seeing flashes of all year, but seeing that 23, 10, and 8 stat line right there out of, out of that big, it's just 
That that's that's greatness right there. Yeah. That's absolute greatness. Yeah, and Jeff Gogan got the scoop. This will be his final year at the collegiate level. He is destined for great things at the next level in the NBA's, and it's gonna be very exciting to see him get his card up here on this kind of wall of fame. Which of course we had to put the newest Phoenix Sun, Kevin Durant, there in the center. Of course we had to. Uh, there we love doing that. Uh, for team of the week, we're gonna do this real quickly here over the next four minutes or so. For me, it's Kansas with that game against Baylor, and that they show national championship potential. And then they paired that with an 11-point road win against a really hard Oklahoma team. They've been real pesky in the Big 12. They've not quite been up to par compared to some of the other teams. They haven't quite been into that tournament caliber. But you look at what they've done, they have been a real solid team. They've been a team that has kept up the pace. Yeah, they're 16-11 overall, but they're 7-7 they're seven seven in the conference. I mean, you look at them in the net, they're 37th in net with four quad one wins. I mean, they are definitely up there as far as teams who have done their job. And so they've kind of been a team that, yeah, you may not pay much attention to, but they've done a really good job. And for Kansas to go on the road, get that win, and really clear, convincing fashion, I think that's a pretty big sign over a tournament team on the road. That hurt a lot to me. Mm -hmm. For my team of the week, I'm going to be going with Kentucky um, 2-0 last week against Mississippi State, um, and then that big uh, game that we mentioned earlier that we're going to talk more about in the after party against 10-ranked Tennessee. They're really surging back into the conversation for getting an at-large bid. We kind of wrote them out um, about a month ago. Uh, when they did, they just kept having these recurring issues. They weren't using Seaway correctly. And now they're starting to kind of work their way back up into that conversation where we, we might see them in March again. Um, and this was a very, very big week for them um, in terms of putting themselves back in that sort of conversation. Just a great week for the Wildcats here. Yeah, absolutely. And again, watch more coming for you Wednesday on your preferred podcast platform on the Wildcats. Mid-major of the week, I'm going with UNC Asheville. Now the Big South regular season champions outright after two convincing wins this week. Radford on the road and the clincher at home against Gardner-Webb on homecoming. How about that? They get that done on homecoming night. Their first regular season title outright since 17-18. Their fourth outright regular season championship in the Big South. And it will also clinch an NIT berth. For just the seventh time in program history, at least in NIT, I should say there. And again, first since the 17-18 season. For my mid-major team in the week, I'm going to be going with Oral Roberts. Clinched the, sum the Summit regular season championship. They're 16-0 in the conference. couple games left. Um, so, you know, they, they still could technically lose a game. But, you know, it's not looking very likely as they are such a strong, strong mid-major team. Um, and for that reason, I'm, I'm picking them as the team of the week. You hear that, mid-majors? We love regular season championships with those awards. We love mm -hmm. that. And Oral Roberts, I mean, it's not a very common opinion among the bracketologists, but I am seeing a couple 11s on the board. That's a big number there uh, for a mid-major, so definitely a stay tuned with that. Not likely, but you look at Oral Roberts, I mean, they are up there. Um, within the net, they're 45th. Nope, I mean, there's no quality wins, though, so you can't put them in, obviously, on an at-large basis with all the Q4 wins. And they've been racking those. They're freaking candy bars. Uh, but they have been really, really impressive in the Summer League this year. We get to the Bubble Watch segment, and this is an exciting I kind of wasn't hoping to really do with the Bubble, and it's kind of shrinky before our eyes. You have a look at the bracket matrix, which... 
update it again today. There are just seven other teams outside the projected field who are getting in brackets. Only two of them are getting in at least 10 brackets. New Mexico has 10. Not a lot of them came out, not a lot of awards for them today. Just four on the list for today, just 40%. And then North Carolina, who is pretty much the consensus first team out in the matrix, and 43 of a possible 92 brackets today. And you are seeing some pop up uh, for them. And then only two more and at least eight. Clemson somehow, and they are pretty much a unanimous out. So they're relying on older brackets right now. They'll be gone from that list. Especially when you take a loss to Louisville. Ugh, that's just disgusting. And then Utah State in eight of the possible 92 brackets. And six of them came today. So they are still trying to get some traction really hard for them in the Mountain West. And then just three others. One of those deals where you get that Sub New Mexico team, North Carolina win. Still no quad one wins for them. Still none. And then Clemson, who's, I think, out for good, uh, quite frankly. Out for good. Just another bad loss. Couldn't afford it. Other teams who are in getting at least one bracket. Oregon, who, by the way, I think lost Washington State. They'll be out for sure. Weak record. North Texas, they are actually all right. And in Conference USA, they are battling with Florida Atlantic for that Conference USA regular season championship. So a lot of talk on that coming probably next week. And a Texas Tech team who has won three straight Q1 wins. They are trying to take advantage of the situation. Some of the other teams in consideration, per Joe Lenardi, the Charleston team we talked about, Arizona State. Again, this is now that we're getting to the next four out territory within Lenardi's picture. And Penn State. Other teams below that. Michigan, they're firmly out, though they have opportunity left. Satan Hall, and they each get to get weak, weak, weak uh, from there within my picture. So really at this point, within a lot of those teams that I've mentioned, when you consider that somehow Wisconsin is still the standard with, with, with all of their analytical uh, misfires, they came into today 76 in the net. We've seen it happen. We've seen it happen where teams get in that low, and Wisconsin has five Q1 wins. There are five there. Excuse me. Pardon me. So I'm not saying there's a chance that there's not a chance, but that low net's kind of the alarm bell for me personally. If that's the standard, them, Mississippi State and USC, the first, the last four in based on number of brackets in in the matrix. Do you really think there's a team that has a chance to really catch up to those guys? I honestly don't know with the you know the way that it's kind of shrinking towards this end of the season it's it's really looking difficult I mean you mentioned one of the teams earlier that is sort of still getting votes for brackets but isn't really in it right now is Texas Tech I mean you look at that 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 tough big 12 that has what eight eight current bids it's looking like um I, I'd say that's kind of your definition of a team that really could go either way currently not really in that in that final conversation but it, it it's teams like I, I i texas tech is my biggest example here um because of their their current streak of quadrant one wins that's sort of my my definition of i i think that this is a worthy team of um 
getting perhaps that last second bid in the Big 12 because this this is also a, a, a conference with teams like West Virginia, West Virginia, teams like Oklahoma State, um, that have kind of also struggled with with these quadrant one teams. And Texas Tech did it more at the beginning of the conference late, but they're starting to figure out that problem. And they have three more quadrant one games until they have their season closer against Oklahoma State, who I mentioned before. That's quadrant two game. They have some of these opportunities. Yeah, I think they're the team that has the, the most opportunity to get the job done, the most realistic opportunity, the way they've been playing, just kind of playing themselves in the conversation. And I, I ran a quick comparison here on Bracketologist.com, what should be a lot of people's new favorite tool, if you don't know what that site is already, between Utah State, North Carolina, New Mexico, and Wisconsin. Three teams that I mentioned out of the field within a lot of people's eyes, and then Wisconsin. Those three teams are so much higher in net than Wisconsin is. Utah State's 35th, North Carolina's 44th. We'll see where the NC State loss takes them. And I will mention for a quick second the best clinic of how to close out a game I've seen this year. That was incredible. And then New Mexico. And it is by at least 28 positions. Analytically, every single one of those three teams is better favored than Wisconsin, particularly in Kempom, but also with some of the other metrics. Wisconsin does have an edge in some of them, BGI and SAG in particular over New Mexico. Don't think it matters too much. That kind of gives you a sense of where the predictive metrics are kind of putting them. And then you get to the quadrants. You want to know why Wisconsin is favored over these three teams? It's those five quadrant one wins. It's the number of games they play in that quadrant. Wisconsin is also four and four in the second quadrant. Whereas a team like New Mexico, probably the, probably the second choice I'd have been out of this list with their three and two Q1 record and three and one in the second quadrant, they've played 11 games in Q3 and they've lost three of them. They've lost three of them. You can't really afford to do that whatsoever. And a Q4 loss. And a Q4 loss. Just a disaster for them within that particular aspect of it. And then Utah State and North Carolina have no quad one wins. Though their Q2 records are still very good. Utah State 7-1, North Carolina 6-2. And, and Utah State also has two Q4 losses, which is never good. So you can see why Wisconsin is still in this conversation of being in, despite the poor overall record, despite the poor metrics, that's carrying them is their 11th best to the schedule overall. They're in the top 75 out of conference. That's a great combination to have. And they're 15 and 11. North Carolina, on the other hand, to compare it again, still top 40 overall and almost top 15 out of conference, but they've done nothing within the top quadrant. They've done nothing. I mean, that, that, that's night and day. The 5 and 7 of Wisconsin, the 0 and A of North Carolina. That's a night and day difference. That matters. And so we're really going to see that happen over time. And by the way, since a lot of people were saying that high-quality road wins matter to the committee, within that bracket preview, North Carolina's only 2-6 and six on the road. Wisconsin's 4-5. and five. And also, Wisconsin has a better neutral site record than North Carolina on the virtue of North Carolina having one more loss. They both have three neutral site wins. That's, that's a point where, I mean, Wisconsin has the edge over these teams in many different areas. And obviously, you get the edge over them. You get the edge over these other teams. And 
We're dealing with a 15-12 and 12 Michigan team who's 65th in the net, particularly the, the three at the top. We're dealing with that Charleston team, which, excuse me, they're, they're a lost way of being out of it as a mid-major. That's, that's the reality of it. We're dealing with an Arizona State team who has poor metrics, has ample opportunity, but if you ask me and almost any Crock High School student, we're kind of praising for the worst within those three games, in our personal opinions. You look at Penn State, you look at a team who is three and five in each of the top two quadrants, 16 and 11 overall, only 60th in the net. They have four key one games left in the schedule. I think Penn State and Texas Tech are the two teams with the most opportunity to make their move. And a bubble that we, I think, are calling subjectively weak. Penn State, Texas Tech, if they grab more Q1 wins, especially with Texas Tech, if they get to that sixth win in that Q1, this guy has to limit for them. I mean, they have got up 21 spots in net in just eight days, Texas Tech. You want to talk about being going from irrelevant to you're in the conversation. You're nowhere near in, but you're in the conversation. That is about, that's about as good as you can ask for at Texas Tech. And we will talk a little bit more about both them and West Virginia Wednesday as well. But that's impressive to me, what they've done. 100%. And it really makes you kind of look at the value of these Quadrant 1 wins, the value of all of this. And with the volume that Wisconsin has these games, it really makes you ask, like, is it... Oh, are these games overvalued because of the amount of games of that sort that they play? Is is the Quadrant 1 wins for Wisconsin overvalued because they have 14 of those opportunities per year? I, I don't necessarily think that Wisconsin is more of a deserving team to make the tournament than, say, a Texas Tech, like I mentioned before. And I, I think a lot of that boils down to they have so many attempts at these games that I, I don't know if that is necessarily the borderline uh, end-all, be-all of it. And, of course, the the, commun- the committee, a lot of it is based on the, those Quadrant 1 wins, but with such a volume that Wisconsin plays these games at, it, it started to really make me wonder that, you know, is that is that the the end all be all of it? Because I'm I'm really going to bat for Texas Tech here. I, I mean I think that's a great program that they have going on. Um, and the wins they're picking up are more, more their big wins are more recent. Mm-hmm. And I'll make two more points in Wisconsin before we move on to our game picks for the coming week. First off for Wisconsin, their most recent wins, their four most recent wins before it gets to the non conference and then a, uh, and then an, an ugly win against Minnesota at home. Michigan, Q2, they're 65th in net. We mentioned their overall record, not that great. Penn State, on the road, 60th in the net. That's a technical Q1 win. And again, Penn State has their issues. At Ohio State, is still a Q1 win, and it will remain there. But Ohio State having a losing record, otherwise known as Wisconsin better win that game. And then at home against Penn State again. I mean, they're relying on road win at Marquette, home win against Maryland, Rowan at Iowa, way back in early December, early to mid-December. That is their strength of their resume. I mean, and if Texas Tech continues on this pace, they will be proving to the community that our biggest wins are more recent. I really think in this particular instance, if they were making that comparison, that should matter, in my opinion. That really should matter. Let's move on. Our game picks of the week, we've been really spotty the last few weeks, particularly posting these in. 
that's something that we, we have been incredibly busy over the course of the last few weeks. I'm sure you've noticed that between my personal Twitter at Hodel Sports, I know Nick with the Super Bowl in town, you are really busy. Uh, and so we have really just been all over the place. But to make everything clear, uh, the current records, um, I'm sitting at 48 and 22, continues to 39 and 28. A little bit of work to do. Uh, but again, you have all kinds of opportunity in brackets. These we'll be doing picks every day. That's a big spoiler for you guys. Every day we'll be doing that again, uh, and we'll be and we plan the next day in the tournament. Got a little lazy last year, but we're not doing that again this year. I'm going to be really be hitting that hammer home. So we're going to do this real quickly here. We got about a few minutes left of the show. Uh, just the major, major differences uh, starting off really uh, Monday. Kansas at TCU. This is probably the, one of the rare exceptions where I would go of Kansas in a road situation in the Big 12. Uh, but we know what TCU's done. And I know Kansas would be really furious at TCU for what the Horn Frogs did. I still have the conference in Kansas. They proved in the second half. Allen Fieldhouse Magic or not, to get that combined team effort again, I think they'll win against TCU on the road. I mean, yeah, you mentioned that that big TCU win by 23 points earlier on in the season in Kansas. And I think that TCU can really um, capitalize on that and that 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 mental win that they have over that. Yeah, sure, Kansas might have some sort of spite going into this game, but TCU, they are a confident, confident team. And at home, they've been great so far this year, and I think that's really going to continue here. Yeah, we are going on the same page as Marquette at Creighton and Iowa State at Texas with the home teams there. Um, and then also later on in the midweek, Boise State for us both at home against Mexico and UConn at home against Providence. Our second midweek difference. I'm going to take Michigan State over Indiana. I really believe this is going to be an almost impossible atmosphere for Indiana win. This will be an incredibly emotional atmosphere in East Lansing with everything that's happened on that campus over the last six days with the tragic shooting on that campus. You can tell that the atmosphere for an in-state rival with everything the University of Michigan did for Michigan State, that was a very emotional atmosphere. And to have the home crowd fuel you, uh, against a team like Indiana. It would already be a raucous environment uh, in East Lansing. But I should have stated how emotionally charged the place is going to be. Yes, Michigan State has to put a lot of behind them. And yes, it could be a big distraction. But ultimately, at the end of the day, I really think Michigan State's going to lock in and give this campus what would be a unifying win. This would be a huge win, not just for Michigan State basketball, not just for the university, but the campus community at large. I think they need a night like this, but they, that they, I'm projecting that they are going to get. And that would just, it would send the morale to the roof. It, it's not going to cure the pain entirely of losing members of the campus community, losing that safe feeling in the spaces they had. Uh, but I think a night like this is on the card for Michigan State, especially how crazy the Big Ten's been. Uh, 100% going to definitely be a, a hugely emotionally charged game here. Um, but just with the current streak that uh, Indiana's on, uh, disregarding that, that very, very close loss on the road against Northwestern, I mean, they've just been on an absolute roll. Trace Jackson Davis has been tearing it up, and I think that this is a really hard Indiana team to stop. Uh, regardless of environment. Yeah, and, and yeah, that's going to be a really fun game to watch. That's appointment television. Absolute appointment television. Uh, in the weekend, again, a couple of major differences. Um, just quickly, the similarities. But both got Kentucky against Auburn, Purdue at home against Indiana. Whole different story than at Assembly Hall. 
Uh, Virginia and North Carolina, I think we both think it's another missed opportunity for North Carolina. And we're both going Gonzaga against St. Mary's. Again, part of that home atmosphere I talked about to be a big key there. Uh, I'm going with the home bather team against Texas. I think Kansas fans will be very happy if that result happens. And then I'm going with the San Diego State team on the road in the pit against New Mexico. I feel like New Mexico has peaked too early. And it's a real shame because New Mexico is trending towards a dream season. Uh, but it seems like unfortunately that's happening. I'll give you a few seconds to talk about New Mexico there. Yeah, just a, a great, really great uh, season for New Mexico. Obviously, they they were the last undefeated team, um, which kind of ended shortly. But still, what an amazing season that it's been so far. Um, San Diego State, that's another program that had a really hot start this season. Then kind of started uh, to tail off. They've rejuvenated themselves a little bit. But this is just a really, really, really solid New Mexico team. And that's that's really why I have them. Um, with this home win. Yeah, and always a tough atmosphere for sure to play in there. So that will wrap things up this week for us. Again, Wednesday morning, preferred podcast platforms, Kentucky's rise into projected fields. The Big 12, is it possible for nine bids? With both Tennessee Tech and West Virginia, we'll talk about that. And we'll also talk about Florida Atlantic. Is their margin for error now zero? We'll talk about all of that on Wednesday morning. And then next week, back here in the Bill Lawson Radio Studio, like I mentioned, brackets will be in the studio. I cannot tell you how excited I am for brackets, 2023 brackets, being in the studio. I cannot tell you how excited I am. I cannot control myself. It is so exciting to have that happen. That's coming up on sale. A lot of talk about that, all the mid-major happenings, and also the great, great stuff. Uh, within the power conferences as well. For Nick Keneally up in Nicholas Hodel, a very good rest of your night. Blake Davis for helping us out in the control room. He's got one Shane Miller keyed up for us for you. Live listeners here on BlazeRadioOnline.com. Have a very good week, everyone.